Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. We're going to bring the world into the situation and let the world help God bring about his promise. Well, that seems like there's a lot of application there. And maybe even so for a church. Should the church bring the world in as a partner to help fulfill the promises of God? Not at all. No. I don't care how attractive Egypt is. I don't care how good Egypt can do things. Egypt, in that sense, doesn't have a place within the church. God made many, many promises in Scripture. He promised individual people very specific things, but His plan and His timing were rarely what that individual had in mind. Today, Pastor James will challenge you to be patient and to trust in God's promises for you. He is faithful, and He is able to fulfill every promise that He makes. If you take over to help Him out in order to make His promises work into your life and timetable, you're going to do it wrong. You'll change the way that God intends to direct your life. So trust Him. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Galatians chapter 4 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. this letter I mean this is going to have an impact on the on the the individuals there within that region of Galatia they don't all continue down the path back to false idols okay just so we know that they don't all just like surrender and abandon themselves back to their old lifestyle we know to a certain extent that by way of this letter this is a good wake-up call for some of these guys and they receive it okay Paul's saying, he's like, look, I was hanging out with you guys. You guys love me. Am I now your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Verse 17, those false teachers. Here's the, here's the bad guys of the story. Um, they're so eager to win, you, to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They're trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right. But let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. So here's the motives of this false teacher. Uh, the false teachers, they're trying to isolate the believers. And that's exactly how cults work out, okay? Cults like to isolate people. They want to get you away from your family. They want to maybe get you away from your church family and all that stuff so that they have all of your attention. And their intentions are never pure, never. So whether that means they're going to get something out of you by way of um, taxing you to death, through giving, right? Because they're going to beat you over the head with that thing. You got to give all your money. Make sure you're doing your tithes and all this stuff. And they're just hounding them and hounding them and hounding them. Or you got to like, now your, your focus is on this one individual. We all focus on, and we only hear from this one individual and we worship this. And that's how the cults work by isolation. And that's basically what's going on here is Paul saying these false leaders are coming in and they're seeking to isolate these believers because they want all of their attention and their focus, not because they care about them, but it's just to boost their own egos. That's all, that's all they want. It goes on verse 19. Oh, dear children. Oh, my dear children. I love this. Paul, his heart for them is he's not offended by these guys. That's so cool. 
Paul could be really, you know, dropping some strong verbiage here. But he's like, he never loses sight of this. He's like, you're still my kids. You're still my, these guys are still saved. Please know that. Paul's not talking about people who have lost their salvation. He's talking about people who have gone out of a groove and back into a rut. They're still believers. Paul says, my dear children, I feel as though I'm going through labor pains for you again. That's where we'd be like, Paul, come on. Um, all the ladies would be like, no, nah, I don't think so. Um, but he's saying, I, I'm, I'm in agony for you again. He says, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives, this, this transformation and, and just this aspect of like just watching them blossom and, and grow in the relationship with the Lord. And Paul's just in agony and distress over this. He says, I wish I was there with you right now so I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. I love that. So you can kind of tell like maybe a little bit more exclamation points in this letter than what they're used to, Okay. Um, and none of them are, are capped off with like a little heart by Paul, right? Now, this is like exclamation point. And remember, it's probably big letters too. Maybe he's underlining certain things, a very harsh kind of a way. But he's like, I, I, I wish I was there. I wish I was there with you, but I can't be there. But here's my letter. I, I don't know how else to, to communicate this to you. He's going to use this, this, uh, this little illustration, a little allegory. To, um, it's, a, it's a true story, but used as, a, as an example to communicate this truth to them. But I was, I was reading through this and studying through this, and, and I, as I was familiarizing myself with the story, and we just went through Genesis not too long ago. But on this last portion, if I can burn anything into your brain, into your heart and mind, um, I would say this. When you come to Galatians 4 and you look from verse 21 to 31, Who's your mama, right? That's what's going to, you can write that in, in that last section. Who's your mama, okay? Because we know who's your daddy. Like that's, that's a common phrase or whatever within. No, no, no. Who's your mama? Like, who's your mom? Not, that, not, that, not biologically or anything like that um, or whatever. We're not talking. Spiritually, is it Sarah or is it Hagar? Because it's one or the other. You got two choices. Sarah or Hagar? And that's what, that's what Paul's going to use. He's going to use this very real story to communicate this truth to these guys. And, and so we'll jump right into it. Verse 21. <clears throat> so he goes on to say, continuing the argument, tell me, you who want to live under the law, because you were once free of the law, the law didn't apply to you, so to speak. You were Gentiles. You didn't have to live under the law, but now you want to live under the law, which again, doesn't really line up with the fact that you like idol worship. Because, you know, in the Big Ten, you know, you should have no other God before me. That's like, that's like you know, numero uno, like you, no false, but yet these false teachers are perfectly okay with these guys setting up these statues again. But he's like, all right, you want to live under the law. Doesn't make sense to me. Um, he says, do you know what the law actually says? That's a great question. So you want to live your life like this, but do you actually know what the Bible says? That's, that's a really good question. If you frame it in the right way, that's a perfect question to ask people when they tell you they're going to do something. And they're like, yeah, you know, I just really feel like I need to do this. And, you know, and I, I saw in the Bible, it kind of referenced this or that or whatever. And you're like, 
you know what the Bible actually says? They might get offended, and that's fine. But it's a really good question to ask ourselves, like even when I'm considering things, like, wait, do I, do I really know what the Bible is saying when it comes to, am I just pulling out verses to, to, you know, to make me feel good or make me feel confident that I can do this thing? You really need to be familiar with what the word says. And that's what Paul is saying. He's like, you want to live under the law, but do you actually even know what it says? It's a valid question. It says, the scriptures say that Abraham had two sons. One from his slave wife, Hagar, and one from his freeborn wife, Sarah. The son of the slave wife was born in a human, in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. So it was human effort. Ishmael was not born out of promise. Ishmael was born out of human works and human self-effort and all that stuff. Ishmael was born out of, well, technically, selfishness. Because Abraham and Sarah are getting up there in age, and they know that this promise exists. However, I mean, I don't know how long the biological clock can tick, but for Sarah and Abraham, they're kind of like, I think, it's, I think we're well past it. Like, I don't know what's going on, but, um, you know, and so the idea was, Sarah's like, look, obviously, God needs us to help him. Okay, because we're doing our part and nothing's happening. So God needs our help. God needs our assistance. If that thought ever comes into your brain, you need to stop right there, repent, okay, and say, God, I don't think I really know who you are because he's God Almighty and he does not need your help. He doesn't. But they were like, you know, we should probably, and she's like, here, I got Hagar, who Hagar was an Egyptian slave, born out of Egypt, and they were going to use Hagar as an Egyptian slave to bring about the promise of God. We're going to bring the world into the situation and let the world help God bring about his promise. Well, that seems like there's a lot of application there. And maybe even so for a church. Should the church bring the world in as a partner to help fulfill the promises of God? Not at all. No. I don't care how attractive Egypt is. I don't care how good Egypt can do things. Egypt, in that sense, doesn't have a place within the church as far as a partnership. We don't want to be unequally yoked when it comes to serving the Lord and bringing about the promises of God. Abraham and Sarah were like, you know what? If this thing's going to happen, the world's going to have to help us out. And it's like, no, no, that's a wrong idea of how God works. And God's like, oh, okay. Um, and they had Ishmael. And immediately they, especially Sarah, immediately they understood that this is a mistake. We just made a mistake. So Hagar gets pregnant. She has Ishmael. Goes on to say, the son of the freeborn wife, that's Sarah, was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise, Okay his own fulfillment of his promise. If God is going to bring something about within mine and your lives that he has maybe promised, then I can guarantee you that he knows how to do it in his own timing. You and I need to get better at waiting because I'm not a good waiter. I don't have much patience at all. 
Again, remember, Saturday, I'm driving down the seawall. My daughter was with me, and I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, why aren't you going? Why aren't you going? Why aren't you going? There's a gap. There's a gap. Why don't you? I'm like, that's just how I am, and it's worse in the summertime, especially if I have to go to Houston. It's just like, it's, that's how I am. I have no patience, um, and I have zero tolerance for other drivers. I just don't. Um, so if you, if you ever see my yellow Jeep and it's honking, I apologize. Um, because, man, I just, I just don't got it. Um, that, unfortunately, translates into my personal relationship with Jesus. I'm like, all right, Lord, all right, all right, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. When's it going to happen? He's like, it's only been like 30 seconds. What are you doing? Like, dude, you're too stressed out. You need to relax, relax. Abraham and Sarah, they're like, I mean, they're watching the clock. They're 70-plus they're years old, and they're still waiting on the promise of the very first kid. And as they're climbing up in the age, they're like, okay, Lord, okay, okay. Well, I guess we just got to jump in and help them out. God knows how to fulfill his own promises. He doesn't need your help. He does not need our help. If he lets you participate in it at all, you can just thank him for that. Because more than likely, we're just going to mess it up, okay? But sometimes he lets us participate in it. But he does not need our help. Verse 24, these two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where the people received the law that enslaved them, okay? It exposed it in the fact that, hey, guess what? You're sinners. You're sinners. You serve a holy God who has no place with sin at all. Sin can't be in his presence at all. And the biggest problem is you're a sinner. You're a sinner. The law just proves that. Now, Jerusalem is like, the Mount, is like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem or the new Jerusalem, which is, you know, just waiting to descend down onto this earth. And how incredible is that going to be? That's going to be amazing. New, new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. Ah, Awesome. Heavenly Jerusalem, she is the free woman. She is our mother. As Isaiah said, rejoice, O childless woman, you who, who have never given birth. Break out in a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman, uh, than the woman who lives with her husband. So this is just an outcry, and this, this reference there is being directed. Paul's using it to... Um, really to help clarify what, what was happening within the story. You got a Hagar, you got a Sarah. Sarah was barren. The Lord opened her womb. She had, um, she had Isaac and, and the son of promise and all that good stuff. Rejoice. And for you and I, you're not, you're not born to Hagar, right? Now, initially, yes, you're born a sinner. But if you're born again, it's born into the family of the freed woman, you're free. You're not bound by the law anymore. The, the time, the calendars and the festivals and all that stuff, you don't have to do those things. They're all just a shadow anyways. They're not necessary for your relationship with God. It doesn't get you on better standing with him. None of that stuff does. It's a relationship based upon his fulfillment of the law and his perfect sacrifice on the cross for your sins, period. Why would you want to leave, leave that? Why in the world would you ever want? Why, why do I want to leave that? Why? Because there's a battle inside of me each and every day 
Each and every day, good dog and bad dog, as Billy Graham would say. There's this fight, it's the flesh and the spirit. And it's very real. It's very real for each and every one of us. But every day you are battling this thing. What? Because this other side of me, it's not so much that it wants to be under the law, but it wants to be back the way it used to be before Christ. But praise God that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us and he is fighting for us and greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, right? So he's way stronger than anything that you could ever come up with at your own strength and, and all that stuff. And he's fighting for you and with you to, to keep you free, okay? So don't go back. The temptation's always gonna be to go back. Until the day you die, the temptation's always gonna be to go back. Always, always but you don't have to go back. We're forming new grooves within our brains that translates down into our hearts. And the Holy Spirit is there in you saying, look, each and every day, just surrender, just surrender. Roll out of that bed, if it maybe even take a prayer to get you out of that bed, I don't know. Maybe just start there, open the eyes as best as you can say, Holy Spirit, I need you today. I got to have you today. Fill me today because I know my flesh is going to want me to go back to the way it used to be. The enemy is always trying to knock you out of that groove and back into the rut, always. But you're born of, a free, of the free woman. You're born of, of Sarah. You're part of the family. You've been adopted in. That's the beauty of the cross. That's the beauty of an empty tomb. That's the beauty of Jesus. And that's the beauty of a curtain that was torn in two that you have direct access to God the Father. And that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, who enables you to be able to cry out, Abba, Papa, every single moment of every single day. It's freedom. Verse 28, he says, and you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise just like Isaac, but, but you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, if you're familiar with the story, Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. You know that story where Isaac's there and he's getting weaned off and there's a celebration and, and there was Ishmael mocking Isaac mocking Isaac and causing a problem within the family. You don't mess with mama. Do not mess with mama. Oh, man. You know, that's why, you know, those like mama bears and mama alligators, like you don't mess with mama. Well, Ishmael was messing with Sarah when he was messing with Isaac. And it caused a problem. These guys, the false teachers, represent Ishmael. And can you imagine the blow to their brains when Paul would liken these very religious Jews to Ishmael, their very real, and even to this day, enemy, mortal enemy. Paul's like, they're Ishmael. You believers in Christ, you're Isaac. You're Isaac. Chew on that for a while, <laughs> right? Like, wow, truth and love. Paul's like, I don't care. He's like, this is how it is. And these guys are persecuting you because that's how it's always been. The conclusion to this, for these guys and for us today as well, he says, but what do the scriptures say about that? 
That's always the question we gotta, we gotta come back to. But what does the scripture say? But what does the scripture say? When you're watching videos on YouTube about this pastor or this worship team or this worship song, but what do the scriptures say? Run everything through that filter. Everything through that filter. The, the Jesus, the word of God filter. You run everything through that. And if it doesn't make it through the filter, throw it away. Throw it away. But what do the scriptures say? What a great question. Write that down in your Bible. Get that permanently tattooed on your body, if you're like that. (laughs) That's something I would do. Um, But what do the scriptures say? But what do the scriptures say? The scriptures say, get rid of the slave and her son. For the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. Make a distinction. Make a separation. Ishmael and Hagar had to move out. I mean, we just know that. Ishmael had no, no share in the inheritance with Isaac. He just, he couldn't. That's not how it was set up. That's not how God ever intended it to be. Now, because Abraham and Sarah made their own decision to bring Ishmael into this world, that was on them. That was their decision. They did that. They caused conflict within their own family. Anytime we do anything out of selfish motives or trying to help God, we are going to bring an Ishmael into this world. That's just how it's going to be. And then here's the thing. Um, you have to deal with the Ishmael. Now it's up to you. You made the mess. Now you get to kind of clean the mess. And the Lord will be there to help you out with that. But, and Abraham cried. He, he had a little conversation with God. He's like, but he's my son. Because he saw Ishmael as his son. And God's like, yeah, I know. But he needs to go. He's like, I'll bless Ishmael, and God does it. And that's a cool thing. God, God blessed Ishmael. He's like, I'll make a nation out of him for sure. I'll make a nation out of him. What we're seeing today is that God is turning lots of Ishmaels, quote unquote, into his sons and daughters as a revival is continually breaking out in the Middle East. That's amazing. Why? Because God loves Ishmael. Never forget that. God loves Ishmael. But there has to be a separation. There's got to be distance. And, and Hagar and Ishmael, they got to move out. They have to move out. Verse 31, Paul says to these guys, to wrap up this, this last portion of verses, or chapters three and four are more like doctrinal kind of portions within this letter. But to wrap these things up, he says, so dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. Who's your mama? Is it, is it Hagar or is it Sarah? If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then... Now, don't, don't get weird with this, because I can already see in my brain how people can take this and turn, into, turn it into a weird cult kind of thing. Like, we're not literally Sarah's not your mom. She's not your heavenly mother. Don't even go there, okay? That's just weird, and that's, that's heretical, okay? Um, but it's saying, like, are you part of the free... Or are you part of the bond, the bondage, the slaves or the free ones? If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you're, you're part of the family, free. You're free. And I'm just going to read verse 1 of chapter 5 for you, just so we can sink this point in to our hearts and our minds. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. It is for freedom that you have been 
set free. It is for freedom that you have been set free. That's all we have time for today on Bread for the Broken. Pastor James has more to share from this study in the book of Galatians, so be sure to join him next time. Just because our time with you is over for today, though, it doesn't mean that you have to stop studying God's Word. We encourage you to pick up your own Bible and dive in wherever God leads you. Each page you read will be life-giving and reveal new things about your Creator. If you ever have any questions or would like to request prayer, please connect with us. You can visit breadforthebroken.com and click on Contact. We have a form there that you can fill out and submit, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. We love hearing from our listeners. Are you in the Galveston area? If so, come join us to worship and study the Bible. Calvary Galveston meets each Sunday at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And you can get all the information you need at breadforthebroken.com. Just click on the About tab. If you aren't in the area or you're just not able to be with us in person during this season, that's okay. We're streaming live on Facebook. Just search for Calvary Galveston, or you can head to our church webpage to connect. Before we officially close our time with you today, we'd like to invite you to be a part of what we're doing. Would you prayerfully consider supporting the ministry of Bread for the Broken financially? All amounts given are appreciated, and you can donate securely through our website, breadforthebroken.com. Thanks for supporting us, and thanks for tuning in to Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man, the one love that and give me.